And as you would, just uh, continue to uh, to pray for Lakewood Church and the staff there. Uh, what the media won't tell you is that the shooter was a gender-confused militant on behalf of the Palestinians. And uh, I don't know why they just don't speak the truth anymore. But they filter everything out to try to make this some kind of a, a crazy person didn't know what they were doing. Well, they're crazy, all right. But God is greater. Amen. Amen. And you say, why should you care about Lakewood? Because your pastors and, and those that we fellowship with are out of that ministry. And so we honor them. Amen. And we pray for them, glory to God. And very thankful that it was not at one of the uh, main English services that the person was in there. And the quick thinking abilities, you know, of uh, both that security staff and off-duty, you know, Houston police officers. So you need to pray for that little boy. Last I heard, uh, that little one um, had been shot in the head and is in critical condition. But I mean, our God is well able. And it shows you the mindset of this person to carry a child in with them. What a cowardly thing to do. And that's the, that's the nature of this thing. You know, the devil is a coward. Yes, he is. Amen. Uh, he can't take the Lord straight on or his people. So he has to kind of worm through the back door and slither in through the rocks and the cracks. But our God is more powerful than that. Amen. Yes. And our God's a God of love. Yes, he is. And tonight I just want to make the bridge for you, the connection between uh, God's love and, and how he, of course, ministers and makes available his grace or his favor in our lives. And I want you just to go over to John 3. And I don't want you just to think because you memorize this verse that there's nothing else uh, that God has for you. What we're saying tonight is the, the great fix, the great grace fix is the demonstration of God's love towards you and for me. John 3, verse 16. Anybody ever heard that one before? <laughs> for God so loved the world and he's not talking about the physical planet here. He's talking about the people. That he gave his only one and son. Shout that word out, gave three times. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. He goes on to say, so if you believe, you're not condemned. And uh, I, I find it curious when I listen to the plethora and the, you know, the great, uh, you know, chasm in terms of, of theology that's out there, just the weirdness going on, that people would say that, you know, God doesn't love everybody. He's actually mad. And if you happen to embrace Jesus, well, then that anger will be, you know, satisfied in Christ and, and not on you. Uh, that's not what the scripture says. The scripture actually teaches that he actually does love every person. Yeah that's ever been born or ever will be born. So much so that he acted on that love by doing something, by giving something. Now tonight I want you just to think in your mind, whenever you hear that word give, I want you to use as a, as a uh, you know, parallel word, grace. For God so graced this world, amen, with his son. That's the mindset I want you to have. Say it with me, God gives, it means he graces. And so the question is, well, how does he do that? How does God's love operate? Aren't you glad his love is not just simply eros or the physical kind of love? Amen. How many are glad God's love is not the stereo kind of love where it's just kind of tit for tat or 
or the you know flail, where there's actually this friendship kind of love, a relationship, or the required love or demanded love of family. How many know there's some people in your family you just have to love? <laughs> it's an unwritten rule. It doesn't mean that you always show up at family gatherings looking forward to it. Your silence is an indictment. Amen. There's, there's somebody out there <laughs> always where it tests your ability to love. God's love is a no-strings love, unconditional love. It's called agape. But what separates this is, is God's desire and his, his, his premeditated desire to preemptively love us knowing we didn't do anything to deserve it at all. And that's the way he wants us to love people as well. But we understand that while we were yet sinners, Romans 5, 8, while we were what? Yet sinners, Christ died, what? For us. While we were yet sinners, God demonstrated his love in this. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Say it, while we were sinners. When did he demonstrate it? After we repented? No. Preemptively. In other words, God demonstrates His love. So any believer that thinks they're walking in love of God, but there's no demonstration of that love, you're not walking in agape. In other words, the love of God acts. It just doesn't feel. Amen. While we were yet sinners, He demonstrated His love towards us. While we were at sinners, he died. So the demonstration is the giving of his son. And that's what this whole concept of grace is all about. He gave. Grace is the demonstration of God's love. I want you to shout that out. Grace, grace is, is the demonstration, demonstration of God's love, God's love for, me. for me. While you were dead in your sins and trespasses. Amen. God loved you. Grace is God's love on display. You should write that down. And if he really does love you, then you should and can expect the grace of God to manifest in your life. There's coming a day when this world will be judged, the nations will be judged. But as believers, you are under his what? You're under his grace because grace is the demonstration of his love. I tell you, the more you find out about what God has for his people, the more you thank God that you gave your life to him. The more you thank God that you're actually a believer. Are you glad you're a believer tonight? Amen. Amen. I don't mind, you know, flowers and candy and Valentine's gifts and those little bitty hearts, you know, that say, I love you, you're mine, all that stuff. But aren't you glad the love of God is not reduced to some card? Yeah. Some day? Amen. <laughs> Thank God for that. So turn to the three people and tell them, you're under the love of God, which means you're under the grace of God. So we've talked about, you know, what grace actually does. First of all, it deals with your sin, uh, the, the control of sin, the consequences of sin, and the consciousness of sin. Aren't you glad for that? Grace also deals with your disease. He sent forth your word, the word of God, and he healed you. Aren't you glad for that today? And he's still doing it. You know, the word of God is still going forth. Paul said the word of God is unchained and it's still operating in your life. Grace also deals with various bondages that you might be facing in your life. 
whom the Son sets free, is what? Free indeed. So when God demonstrated His love, when He graced you, when He absolutely gave you His grace, demonstrating that love, He's dealt with the bondages in your life. Turn to somebody and say, you don't have to be in bondage. Can somebody be a Christian and be in bondage to some habit or some, you know, you know, substance or some way of thinking? Yes, but they don't have to stay that way. Aren't you glad for that? Yeah. Number four, grace deals with destruction. Um, you know, the Lord is compassionate. He's slow to anger. He's good to all. Literally, Psalm 145 tells us that he stoops down to pick us up. Aren't you glad he does that? Can you raise your hand if you've ever been down? You know it was the Lord that picked you up. Nobody else could have done that. People were kind to you. They prayed for you. They blessed you. They tried to help you. But you know it was what? The grace of God that lifted you up off of that floor. And if you haven't had that experience, sooner or later in life you do. Because guess what? We live in a fallen world. And there might be some crazy people in your life. And there are covenant breakers in this world. And there are people that do one thing and say another. They put on a mask and they pretend to be one thing and the reality, what they are comes out. And there it is. There is grace available for the destruction that sometimes happens in our lives. These things didn't come to stay. They came to what? To pass. And what grace does, it deals with any destruction, any brokenness. He's a great God of restoration. Aren't you glad he knows how to restore? I've told you about my... 1967 cherry red Ford Mustang. Popped out the 289, put it in the 351 Cleveland with glass packs. It was the fastest and the loudest thing in my school. When you cranked it on in the morning, the whole neighborhood knew I was up. And my car spoke in tongues. None of this me stuff going down the highway. Are you here today? Look at somebody say, buh, 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 buh. But those, uh, those cars were famous for rusting over the wheel wells and rusting in the, uh, in the trunks. In fact, you open up the trunk of that car and you can see straight down to the, to the pavement. And so what they would do is they would take this, con this you know, compound called Bondo. Some of you are intimately acquainted with Bondo. Bondo does. And they would do their best to get off the rust. They put this Bondo in there and they would shape it and they would sand it and they would repaint the car. The problem is it really wasn't like it was originally. Amen. It was not really restored. It was really cosmetic. Does that make sense? <laughs> and so, you know, it was restored, but it really wasn't. Your God, when he restores, makes it better than it was originally. I don't know what that means for a Mustang. I don't even know what Ford is doing. They spent billions to invest in electronic vehicles and they scrapped the battery plant. They scrapped the vehicles. Because guess what? Americans are smarter than the government. Yeah. Actually, what happens, the Ford CEO did a road trip across the country and a Mustang, electric Mustang. And what he did to make sure he had places to go to to charge, he had employees go before him and block other people from those charging stations. And then, even then, it took him like three or four times to go across the country than he would have if he just filled up, you know, down over there in pockets or, or hooks. And then he had a revelation. This isn't going to work. We don't have the infrastructure for this. And then when he did get a charging station, he had to sit there for an hour and a half, two hours to make sure it's fully charged. So unless you have an army of employees that you can send in advance of your trip, 
Are you here today? And then what they did to the Ford Bronco is a sin. It's just a sin. One of the coolest cars ever made. Go look at those Broncos on the front lot over there. Just say to yourself, that's just a sin. That's a disgrace against man and God. <laughs> anyway, pick on Fortnite. <laughs> I don't know what a God kind of restored Mustang looks like. But that's what God does in your life. You come to him broken and beat up and destitute and reduced to nothing by that world. He doesn't just, just pick you up and brush you off. He restores you better than you would have been. Now watch this, not just when you're first born again, but throughout the trajectory of your Christian life. If you find yourself beat up and bruised and robbed on the road to Jericho in your life, he is still in the restoration business. Say, well, he restored me once or twice. He's not going to restore me anymore. Why are you putting limitations on the heart of God? He is well able to restore you as much as you need it. And some of y'all need lots of restoration, glory to God. And it's available because that's what the grace of God does. And then grace, we learned last week, deals with aging. You don't have to go and say to yourself things like this. Well, I'm just, you know, aging gracefully. That's a contradiction in meaning and terms. According to the Bible, aging gracefully is applying grace so that you age well and strong. So that in the end of your days, you're actually green and bearing fruits, not accepting things. Aging gracefully implies I'm just going to put up with all that comes traditionally with aging. That pain. Amen. That weird phenomenon, this thing happening to your brain, that thing happening to your lungs, that thing happening to your kidneys. No, by his stripes, ye were healed. Amen. You know, look at it this way. Those of you that are over 40 or whatever the case may be. But I can tell you this, you know, you shouldn't start believing for healing when you're older. You should start front loading it with scriptures long before you're older. Say it with me. I'm not aging gracefully. I'm aging with grace, which means there's availability to give you strength of days and length of days. And so all this means is, you know, let me put it this way. When you're younger, you need to make a demand on God for wisdom because you're stupid. So in older years, you're less stupid, less of a demand for what? For the wisdom, maybe some of the wisdom that a young person needs. As you get older, guess what? You need to make a greater demand on the healing anointing than maybe somebody who's younger and isn't facing the same kinds of things. Either way, it's available. So stop accepting things just because you're a certain number on a calendar or a clock. By his stripes, you were healed just doesn't apply to somebody under 20. And I believe before, like Lord Roberts, before he went home to be with the Lord, he had an encounter with God, and God was saying the healing was coming back big time. We haven't even begun to see what God's going to do in the healing area. It's not time to dumb down our expectation. Look at somebody and say, I refuse to great, you age gracefully. I'm not accepting that. No, I'm going to age with grace. Say that with, with a long life. God will satisfy me and then show me that salvation. Aren't you glad for that? So the, the focus today is to talk to you specifically about activating you know, that grace in your life and uh, activating it more and more and more.
Because like everything else in the kingdom of God, our response to what God provides is critical. That's right. I can preach on this to the cows come home, but you don't have to accept it. That's true. I I preach salvation, and you know, it's very, very common to give people a chance to, to pray either together corporately or individually to accept the Lord. Um, and yet, in any given service, there's somebody that's not going to respond to that that needs to. Does that make sense? But it's, oper- it's, it's available to them. Same thing uh, with things like the baptism of the Holy Spirit. I can preach on the Holy Ghost and the baptism and all that goes with it, but that doesn't mean somebody has to accept it. They don't have to. But guess what? Their refusal to accept it doesn't change the reality of it being available to us. Same thing with healing, same thing with prosperity, same thing with God's supernatural wisdom, same thing with the fact that God has a plan and a purpose for your life, and it's the same thing with God's grace. And the dimensions of grace, I can you know, respond to and accept God's grace for forgiveness and then shut everything else down, either because I'm theologically ignorant or I have been taught things that don't go, you know, really go with the Word of God, things that are man's perspective. Let me just help you out here. Just because some theologian doesn't believe that there is some aspect of grace you can tap into on this planet, don't base what you believe on what somebody else says and who they're listening to. You go to the Word of God. If that grace is in the scripture, you can have it. It puzzles me that people will say that, uh, you know, healing's not for today. Well, then when is it for? When you die? When you go to heaven? When you're raptured? How many are in this building tonight and you're smart enough to know that when you're raptured, you're not going to need healing anymore? And you're going to be just fine in the guidance department. <laughs> Won't need a checking account. So you're thinking, hey, hey, it sounds really attractive. Let's go. Yeah. No, hang around until you're done. <laughs> and then you can go. And it's, it just seems like there are people in, in the body of Christ throughout the land that are, that are exploding in revelation and, and going after what God says. And there are other people that just want to talk you out of believing God for what the Bible teaches. Just stick to the Word of God. Look at somebody and tell them, stick to the Word of God. All I know is that uh, there are a lot of folks out there that need restoration. They need forgiveness. They need healing in some aspect of their lives or body. So number one tonight, how do you activate this great fix, you know, in your life? Number one, feed on grace scriptures. Feed on them. Feast on them. Just do a search in the Word of God. Get your concordance out. They're in the back of your Bible. But uh, we have great tools that, uh, that we can find out what God says about a concept. And these are just some of my favorite. But keep this in mind. Faith comes by hearing, including things like grace. So I'm not going to believe that grace is activated in my life unless I actually spend time feeding on those scriptures. Take nothing for granted. Faith does not come by osmosis. And it doesn't come because you've been a Christian for 30 years. It comes by what? Hearing. And what? Hearing and hearing. Hebrews 4.16, for example, Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of what? grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. How many know the throne's open for the believer? Amen. What do you find there? You find mercy for distresses, but you also find grace for help 
in time of need. That's why 2 Peter 3.18 tells us to grow in the grace and the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ. And that's the endeavor here. Okay, you're, in, you're enjoying an element, a dimension of His grace. We'll take it up a couple notches this year. Amen. Look at somebody saying, more grace, more grace. in the year of more. Say it again, more grace, more grace. in the year of more. So you and I should have confidence in approaching that throne. If you do approach that throne in prayer, what can you expect to receive from God? Grace. Whatever grace is the need, you know, demonstrating in your life, it's available to you and to me. Ephesians 2.8. Everybody should know this one. For by grace you have been saved. Through what? Through faith. And this is not of your doing. It is the gift of God. Again, where you find grace, you find gift. It's the same concept. Giving is gracing. Grace is a gift, of course. And it means you're saved or have soundness through faith, of course, and it's the grace of God. So every dimension of salvation, every dimension is the grace of God, and every dimension is tapped by your faith, by believing God. If you don't believe what God provides for in His grace, then you're not going to tap into it. Now, you know, occasionally a blind squirrel will find a nut. <laughs> occasionally. Uh, you know, that's not the way God wants you to live. Yeah. He didn't go to the cross so you would only have a little bit of this salvation. Right. It's a great salvation, what Scripture calls it. Now, I probably right now have some of the biggest, fattest squirrels in Callaway County. <laughs> because out on our deck, <laughs> thousands of nuts, hickory and, and acorns, oh, fell. Boy. And I'm not talking about a few. I'm talking like the hair of the dog. Something shed all over that deck in terms of trees. And so I, I, I just, you know, I brush them off, I blow them off, and then they come again. This went on for weeks. And so finally I just said, okay, trees, you win. I give up. I'll see you in the springtime. I'm not doing any more of this. And I go out there recently just to check on things. And I mean, a squirrel has eaten every single nut, just, just pieces of those nuts everywhere. And I'm thinking that, that, <laughs> That sucker's going to need a wheelbarrow to come out in the springtime. He is so big. Well, you know what? That's the way you and I should be. God has this deck full of grace nuts. Not grape nuts. Grace nuts. <laughs> That's a different commercial altogether. Everybody say grace nuts. And you're over there going, well, I just want that one. I'm going to tell you what. This squirrel does not have a poverty mentality. <laughs> this squirrel is into abundance. And, and he didn't say, well, you know, I've had enough. He just, keeps he just kept going. And my guess is somewhere around our house or in the trees somewhere, he's got this store. And it's probably not a small store. Amen. God provided the nuts. Guess what? The squirrels should eat them. God provided the grace for you, and you should partake of it. Amen. Right. Has He not prepared a table for you in the presence of yes. your enemies? Yes. Is it His fault if you won't take some of this and some of that and some of the other? No, if you won't pull yourself up and receive it, it's not His fault. But it's available for you and for me. By grace you have been saved. By grace you tap into soteria. By grace you tap into wholeness. By grace you tap into soundness. And it is not of yourself, amen. You do it by faith, but the grace is what? The gift of God. And it's available to you. Aren't you glad? 
Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all people. If the grace is here, then the salvation has appeared. Aren't you glad you live in a great day? Yeah. We should never uh, be ashamed to share this with others because it's good news. It's the God, it's literally the good news of God's grace. That's what the apostle calls it. John chapter 1, verse 16 and 17. For from his fullness we have all received grace upon grace, for the law was given through Moses. Grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. This giftedness came specifically through the Lord. The truth came specifically through him. We should be excited about that. Now, the more you read these and meditate on these scriptures, your faith for grace should increase. I've just pulled out a few that I really, really appreciate and I think minister to me on an ongoing basis. But the Bible is filled with scriptures on His grace. Acts chapter 20, verse 32. And now I commend you to God and to the word of His grace, which is able to build you up and give you the inheritance among all those who are sanctified. Look what grace does. It'll build you up and it'll cause you to tap into your inheritance. Now, you should read that and go, well, then I shouldn't have a problem believing God to build me up. And I shouldn't have a problem saying I want to tap into the inheritance of God in my life. Again, I want to say it. Don't let people talk you out of what God said you could have. Stick to the word of God. You have a great inheritance one day in heaven, but you also have an inheritance where? Here. You don't get your inheritance when you die. You get your inheritance because he died. Does that make sense? And there is no probate. There are no lawyer fees. Amen. But you'd be amazed how many Christians still today, just a few more weary days and then I'll fly away. And, you know, I came up the rough side of the mountain. Lord, just give me a little bit, a little dab will do me. And they're just like, they still, just like Mephibosheth, are stuck in Lodabar. It's not just Mephibosheth stuck in Lodabar. There are countless Christians stuck in Lodabar. Yeah. Mentally, they still believe that, well, I'm going to go to heaven one day, but the rest doesn't matter. It does matter because a high price was paid to get you out of Lodabar, to bring you to the king's table, amen, to restore things that were taken from you, amen. And to cause you to increase. Yes. Glory to God. Look at somebody and say, I am not living in Lodabar. Come on, tell somebody, I refuse to live in Lodabar. And people who, who think this way, I'm just an old dog. That's what Mephibosheth said when he came to David's table. Oh, what do you want with an old dog like me? I tell you, God can do all this stuff. But if he can't get you to think like he thinks then not much is going to change. Could you imagine sitting down in the palace table with the king and still thinking you belong in Lodabar? Amen. Hallelujah. Say it with me. That grace builds me up and causes me to tap into my inheritance spiritually, physically, materially, in every way. See, folks, this is a mind renewal issue. It's renewing your mind to what God actually says. Then 2 Timothy, here's another one, 2, 1. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. Paul said in 2 Corinthians that his grace is what? Sufficient. No matter what you're dealing with, guess what? His grace, his giftedness, 
His demonstration of love, His grace is sufficient for you. That grace should strengthen you every single day. Every day you get up and say, I'm blessed of God. I'm forgiven of God. Amen. He's not against me. He is for me. Glory to God. And enjoy what He has provided for you through that grace. Turn to somebody and say, Feed on grace scriptures. Why? Faith comes by hearing. And not just hearing once. Um, you know, for the benefit of those of you who are, are relatively new to, to some of the things that you hear in this ministry, um, faith is not static. It doesn't plateau and then here you are for the rest of your life. It rises and falls based on the level of the input in your life. You can be strong in faith today and weak in five weeks because you've not been feasting on the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing. Now watch this. So the good news is faith always comes. If you are hearing, I wonder if faith will come. No, if you are hearing, faith will come and keep coming into your life. That's critical. Number two, believe the grace. Feed on grace scriptures. Number two, believe the grace. The carnal mind says this is just too good to be true. We simply need as believers to accept and believe the grace of God. You see why? Romans chapter 5 verse 2 tells us that we access this favor by faith. How do you access the grace of God in all of its dimensions? How do you access all that the grace of God we've talked about will do from, from dealing with sin to dealing with sickness to dealing with aging to dealing with you know, bondages in your life to dealing with things that have been destroyed? That's all done by faith. I want you to look at this scripture and, and mark this scripture because uh, if you want to see more of His grace this year, the only way to do that is by understanding the biblical pathway for that. Romans chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified through faith, there's the qualifier. Can I see the hands of those of you who have been justified by faith in Jesus Christ? All right. That's the key right there. That's the first step. But he goes on to say, We have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have gained access by faith into the grace in which we now stand. Faith is how you access that grace. It's perfectly consistent here with what he said in Ephesians 2.8. You have a salvation that is about by, is by grace, but it is what? Through the agency of a thing called faith. You've got to believe this. I'm going to thank God you believe that he has in fact died for you and you've embraced him and you've accepted him. All right? Say it with me. I'm going to heaven. I'm going to heaven. Say, my name, my name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. You believe you're headed that way? Amen. And there are Christians that are perfectly content to limit their reception of grace to that truth, and that's perfectly fine. And if, uh, you know, in the big scheme of things, at least you got the big one. But there is far more that God has for His people. And every promise in this book is access. It's, first of all, everything God promises is His grace. He's made it available. But it's accessed by faith. So if I won't believe these things, I can't tap into these things. Well, you, should, you ought to be able to tap into all these things because you already tapped into the most important one. Amen. But I can't be listening to what God will do and then turn around and listen to somebody else tell me what God won't do. 
One day I'm on the promises of God and what God can do and the dimensions of his salvation in my life and soundness and holiness and then listen to complete opposite, you know, you know, rhetoric from somebody else. Faith comes by hearing. Write this down. Faith goes by the same way. Yeah. It disappears the same way. Okay, when faith comes by hearing. Faith goes by hearing. And you look at this and some stuff out there, and I'm telling you, you can literally feel the, the faith just leaving your life. Amen. That's why the Bible tells us, be careful, amen, what you're hearing. Take heed what you hear. Because, of course, the determining factor of, of what you receive is based on how much of that truth you've actually put in. And that's why we tell you, all we can do is kind of shove you in the right direction in church. It's up to you to guard your hearts day by day. Amen. I'll tell you what you need to do is you need to become, you know, like a, like a person with a titanium backbone. I'm not going to listen to this nonsense that contradicts the Word of God in my life. And I'm not going to listen to this nonsense that, uh, you know, persecutes and, and talks ugly about and puts down the people of God. That's right. I'll never understand, and it's always religious people. The Bible says the common people heard Jesus gladly. There's 50,000 people involved at Lakewood Church and religion can't stand him. Let me give you a tip here. Whenever you see religious people attack somebody, you want to find out why. And why? Thousands of people saved. Every single month, people set free. And here's the real stupid thing. They assume that everything that they say on a Sunday morning is the only thing they believe at Lakewood Church. You know, Joel's brother Paul left his practice in Little Rock to come there specifically to disciple new believers in Christ. You understand what I'm saying to you? Um, be careful. And, and you, have to, you have to discern, why is this person using their mouth against that minister? Why is this person using their mouth to undercut that particular belief system? What's the motive behind that? Are you here today? If you don't know, protect your ears. Are you hearing what I'm saying to you? Joel just goes around building people's hope up. Wow, what a terrible, terrible thing to do. You know how many scriptures there are about building hope, advancing hope, overflowing with hope by the Holy Ghost? Hope through the Holy Scriptures. And this is my favorite. He smiles too much. There must be something wrong with the boy. He must, he smiles too much. Well, if you're around a bunch of people that frown all day long, I mean, all right, look at your neighbor right now and look at their face. Which would you rather look at, a frown or a smile? You know that one uh, meaning in the Hebrew of a joyce is to brighten up. You know what that literally translates into? Smile. So let's break it down. Uh, Joel rejoices too much. As long as you have Christians, you're going to have Pharisees. Amen. And I can tell you this, that uh, you, you listen to the right voice and you'll tap into more of God's grace. Because faith comes by what? Listen to the wrong voice, it'll cut you off from things. And, those, and so, you know, some people are they're in a position if they're in a home and, and the kids are being exposed to nonsense. You know, that's a difficult one. But as adults, guess what? You get to make those choices. And expose your kids and grandkids to only things that support what God's Word says rather than contradicts what God's Word says. Say, so I access 
every dimension of God's grace by faith. I've got to believe it. Amen. See, there's, there's preaching and teaching, and then there's the mention of the person's heart to receive it and actually believe it. How many of you with raised hand want to see more of God's grace manifest in your life this year? You know, feed on the healing scriptures and believe the things you're actually reading. It's giftedness, glory to God. Number three, confess the grace of God every single day. Another way to say that is confess the favor of God every single day. Romans 10, 9, and 10, that's how you got saved. Believing in the heart, God raised Jesus from the dead. And what? Same with your mouth. Confession is made unto salvation. That's how this works. Write this down. Your words are magnets. Remember that. They attract things. And I'll tell you something funny. Every person I know that actively confesses the favor of God, all they're doing is lining up their mouth with what God said about them already. Every single person I know that consistently confesses the favor of God, mysterious and amazing things happen in their lives that only could be attributed to God operating in their life. Say it with me. I am the favorite of God. I confess His favor. Confess His favor over your life, over your body, over your marriage, over what? Over everything that pertains to you. Because what you're doing is you're actively agreeing with God's Word about the grace of God. It's not a joke. You really can have what you say. Not because of some metaphysical application of that, but because of the way you are designed. And get this into your heart tonight, because words are spiritual. They're not just natural. Say, I confess the favor of God. Sometimes you get beat up so bad spiritually, you just stop doing the things you know to do. Some of y'all just need to start doing the things you've been trained to do. I'm not going to go out and take a poll and ask somebody's permission if I can confess the favor of God. But the Bible already tells me about His great grace and what He's been making available for you and for me. I'm either going to do it or not do it. But let me say it again. I see a lot of people in the body of Christ and God's moving powerfully in their lives. They all have one thing in common. They confess the favor of God. And what is that? It involves open doors. Amen. Opportunities. Reversal of man's, you know, regulations and policies. All kinds of applications of Scripture when the favor of God came on a person's life. And you are just as important to God as they are. Amen. Say it. I believe. And I confess, I confess the favor of God, favor of God over, my over my life. Well, what's the opposite? Yeah. Disfavor? Is there anybody that's born again that really believes that God disfavors them? Oh, no, Pastor, I'm not in the favor camp and I'm not in the disfavor camp. I'm kind of in between. Based on what scripture are you in the in-between camp? There's blessing and curse. There's death and there's life. There is no in-between camp. And yet, I confess the disfavor of God on my life. No. Said, I confess the favor of God. Put his word to work in your life. See what he will do. Amen. It's real. Feed on the grace scriptures. Believe the grace. Confess the grace of God. Confess his favor every single day in your life. Number four, position for the grace. 
James 4, 6 says, He giveth more grace, wherefore he saith, God resisteth the proud, but gives grace unto the humble. I want you to write this down. Pride is a favor blocker. There is nothing good going to come into your life by walking around in pride. Divorcing yourself from what God says. You know, someone would say, well, I don't want to believe God for that stuff. I'm humble. You know, I'm just a humble man or woman of God. I'm not going to believe God for that stuff. I know what the Word says. Anybody that uh, comes up in contradiction to the Word of God with their thinking, that's not humility. It is pride that butts up against the plain teachings of Scripture. Give an example. Uh, There is one name under heaven given among men whereby we what? We must be saved. To agree with that is to walk in humility before God. To get up and say that's not. Somebody actually actually is teaching us now, a progressive Christian so-called. It's either progressive nor Christian. That uh, John 3.16 doesn't mean what we've all taught it means for years. It doesn't mean that Jesus is the only way. Well, what is that? Dress it up all you want to. Pacify people who don't want to believe that the way is actually that narrow, but it doesn't change the truth. It doesn't change the reality. You can believe what you want to, but that doesn't change the reality of God's what infallible truth that is eternal. There's only one way. To butt up against that is pride. Amen. When God calls you the head, you say, I'm just a nobody. I'll never be nothing. And you think and you act in contradiction to his word. That's not humility. So you're using a worldly concept to define what biblical humility is. And biblical humility, get this down, is just submitting to the plain teachings of the Word of God. Which means if there's something for me to do, guess what? I do it. If there's something I should stop doing, guess what? I should stop doing it. And to keep doing something I should stop doing means I'm what? I'm not in humility. I am prideful. I can walk around and abase myself and act all miserable. Oh, he's a humble person. No, he's not submitting to what God said about stopping that. So he's actually in pride about that. Amen. And when I find a promise of God, it's not humble for me to reject that promise. It is pride to reject the promise of God. World literally turns upside down what real pride is. Versus what real humility is. Real, real humility says, Lord, whatever you want, I want. Whatever you want me to do, I'm going to do. Whatever you want me to stop doing, I'll stop doing. Whatever you want me to think, I'll think. Whatever you want me to stop thinking, I'll stop thinking. Whatever you want me to say, I'll say. Whatever you want me to stop saying, I will stop saying. Well, Lord, whatever you promise me, I will receive it humbly. Amen. And I'm not going to fight against what your word says. That's, it. That's what true humility is. Now look at this scripture. God opposes the proud. But he gives what? Grace Grace or favor to the humble. Using the definition I just gave you, who then gets the favor? The humble. Who are the humble? Those that submit to the word of God. So somebody says, God does not care about healing. It was just there to prove in his divinity and it's no longer needed. No, that's not what scripture teaches. Scripture teaches, I am, not was, the Lord that healeth thee. Sounds humble. Well, I'll just a few more weary days and then I'm just resigned to whatever is happening physically in my body. It sounds real humble. In reality, it's pride. And pride goes what? And a haughty spirit before what? Destruction. That's right. 
To oppose the promises of God is not humility. To reject them is not an act of humility, is an act of pride. And God actually what? Opposes the pride. So when you say, I believe what you say, and I commit to what you say, that is humility. See the difference? It's not beating yourself up. It's submitting yourself to the plain teachings of Scripture. Amen. Confess the grace, the favor of God. Position yourself for the grace of God. He does what? He opposes the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Shout this out. The humble Christian is the one that reads, meditates, believes, and does the Word of God. That's the humble Christian. The prideful Christian won't read, or won't meditate, or won't believe, or won't act on it. Amen. The Bible tells us to make righteous judgments. Uh, God doesn't judge based on the appearance. Some people appear to be humble, and in reality, they're just filled with pride. Some people are, are viewed and judged to be prideful, and they're the most humble because they're the most submitted to the Word of God. But can I tell you something? When you're submitted to the Word of God, it makes you bold. And some people can't distinguish between boldness and pride. Amen? <laughs> um, when you lay hands on the sick and say, in Jesus' name, be healed, the unlearned and the arrogant would say, that's pride. But Jesus is the one that said what? Heal the sick. Cast out devils. Raise the dead. Watch this. Freely you've been given. Freely give. Freely you've been graced. Now grace others. I can hide behind, I just don't believe healings for today. I just don't believe we have authority. I don't believe that we can lay hands on the sick. That all sounds humble, but it's pride. Because it violates what God has actually said. Jesus wouldn't tell you to lay hands on the sick. And then you turn around and say, well, that's not for me. That would be prideful to think that I can do that. It's never prideful to do and to think and believe what Jesus said you can do and think and believe. It's arrogance, of course, to come in contradiction to it. Number five, and this is important too, extend the grace to others. If you want to extend grace to others, you can't seem to uh, tap into the fullness of the grace that God has for you. Again, freely you've received. Do what? Freely, freely give. The Bible says things like forgive as you have been forgiven. In other words, I'm going to grace others because I have been graced myself. What should happen when you and I receive great grace from God? It should motivate us and want us to pass it out. Amen. Give it to others. What did God say about the Lord in Romans 8? He freely gave us Jesus. Does that mean he's going to hold out on the other graces towards us? No, we have to be of the same mindset. Amen. Gracing other people. Why? Because you yourself, you've been graced by God. Amen. Say the grace of God, grace of God. is available for me, not just for salvation, but every dimension of my life. Now, you can believe that or not believe it. I'm in a household of believers tonight. Amen. I see the hands of the believers here in this place. It's okay to be in development, but uh, just let the Scripture speak for itself. 
that make sense? You hear strange things out there. And as a pastor and as a shepherd, everybody say shepherd, it's partly my responsibility to protect you from things that will kill you spiritually. Now watch this. My job is not to run around digging at other people in the ministry. But I have every responsibility to deal with the beliefs that are wrong. And they're out there. <laughs> people say, well, you know, if you don't uh, preach and teach in an expository way where you go from book to book and chapter to chapter and verse to verse, then you're not preaching right. That all sounds real good. You hear the arrogance in that? But I challenge you to look in the teachings of Jesus or Paul for examples where they actually did that. Jesus from Luke 4 taught a textual message, but 99% of the messages of Jesus and his people are topical. In other words, if you come to Paul and said, you need to teach expositorily, brother, he goes, what are you talking about? <laughs> this is a convention of modern Western theologians. It's perfectly fine to do that. And it makes helpful, especially in formal Bible studies, to go through books and go through sections, go through the Word of God. But I'm telling you to say that if you don't preach that way, then somehow you are not biblically preaching. is strange because the actual people in the Bible didn't do it that way. Just saying. Look for yourself. Look at a passage of Scripture. Expository, textual, or in fact, is it just topical? Paul did quite a bit of textual. There was a piece of Scripture he would talk about that, but often as an illustration in the context of some topic. Does that make sense? If you're not careful... You'll hear somebody say, well, you know, so-and-so doesn't do that expository stuff, so I shouldn't be listening to that stuff. I'm going to tell you, you're going to get hold of some of the most poisonous stuff you'll ever hear. Because these people are not, first of all, spirit-filled. Some of them aren't even born again. I'm not going to let some non-spirit-filled, non-tongue-talker try to explain to me whether it's God's will to heal or not. Amen. Does that make sense? They're rejecting the application of the supernatural. Why in the world would I subject myself to that? It is time for you to make sure you're looking at the right stuff and listen to the right stuff. It doesn't take a lot of leaven at all to do what? They go through the entire lump. Amen. Glory to God. And how many of you have given enough time to the devil and to this world and to defeat and to destruction? Does that make sense? If I say thank God, thank God. for the grace of God. Grace is God's great fix. And it is a demonstration of His love. Look at somebody say, He loves you. He loves you. I heard this testimony about a man who lives in Georgia. He's actually uh, a rabbi now. Uh, and he's called a rabbi, but he's, he's a full believer in the Lord. And he's accepted the things of the Spirit. But he's raised in New York. And he and his wife got married, and somebody said, you know, you, you should go over to uh, Israel for your honeymoon. And he's thinking, Israel, I just want to go to a beach somewhere, you know, and drink and party. I don't go to Israel for it. <laughs> you know, but he told him, knowing that he was, you know, his mom was Orthodox, his dad didn't really practice it. But uh, so they decided to go over to Israel. And they spent, you know, several days, you know, going to great restaurants and eating and drinking and partying, whatever, you know, seeing some of the sites that were there. They didn't take any tours. 
But uh, he was impressed one day to go to the Mount of Transfiguration, and he felt literally like the Lord had somebody had had cast like a like a line and it caught him in the chest, and he just had to go up there. And when he got up there to that place, the Lord appeared to him in a vision. And you know the first thing God said to him: "Turn to burn, you worm. I hate your stinking guts." No, the first thing he said to him. Face to face in this experience was, I love you. And made the connection between, you know, who you have been taught Messiah is and who actual Messiah is. And that day, and he has a wonderful revelation. He said, I didn't become less of a Jew that day. I became more of a Jew that day. (laughs) Embracing who he really is. Do you realize Jesus has never shed his Jewishness? But he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets and the festivals. That's why it's okay for you to understand Jesus through those typologies, but not try to add them to your relationship with Jesus, thinking that somehow is going to work the grace of God in your life. It is Jesus, period. He is the fulfillment. And that day he found out who he was. Amen. And I believe now he leads a congregation of people who are on that same faith journey. People who were raised as Jews who also now know who the Messiah is. Remember what I said uh, as a New York uh, rabbi, and there's one over there I told you about Billy Brim in, in Israel. When he was over there studying the Hebrew, <laughs> and his comment was, the, when, when the Messiah does appear, the first question he's going to ask him is, have you been here before? <laughs> and that's a great question. <laughs> Because if you've been here before, I'm going to rearrange my thinking very, very quickly. Because there's only what? One Messiah. Everybody say, praise God. He is. So here's the deal. Uh, God has gone through great lengths to, you know, uh, show you and then leave behind his word as as a light, as a lamp, as a guide, as a path for you. Don't let people who reject the plain teachings of Scripture talk you out of anything. Um, your salvation is the starting point of grace. It's not the ending point. Amen? Amen. God still has plenty to do in you and through you. I confess it boldly. I confess confess. boldly Boldly. the favor of God God. on my life. I believe it. I I receive it. I I say it. I I declare it. I I expect it. it. So watch this. The curse has been removed from your life. The blessing has been restored. The blessing is the power of God, amen, to prosper you, to cause you to excel, to increase, to have much fruit, to have longevity. And you have the favor of God, which is God's ability to open up doors and give you opportunities. So he has the ability to give you a favor and then give you the power to do what that favor is actually engaging you to do. You're a very blessed people. Amen. Amen. Say, I receive it. I I believe it. In Jesus' name. Jesus. Say, I'm still teachable. I'm still One of the biggest problems in the body of Christ is somebody gets to a certain point in their walk with God and they can't receive anymore mm-hmm. because they believe they've heard it all. Mm-hmm. That's like saying something the Holy Spirit is deaf and dumb. <laughs> is it the Holy Spirit that's deaf and dumb? No. Or is it the receiver that's deaf and dumb? Amen. Glory to God. Did you receive this tonight? Turn to three people and say, you're favorite of God. Tell them both, you're favorite of God.
Let's give him a big hand clap and let's thank him today. Lord, we bless you.